Hello and welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast of Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. I am Pastor Jules, and I'm excited that you have decided to join us here. The teaching or conversation you are about to hear is from our youth group ministry. I hope that you will find it encouraging. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at cedarcrest.church/students. Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 through 23 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is to be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Crucifixion was an act of torture uh, where they would bind criminals to a wooden cross for means of execution. It was not invented by the Romans, but the Romans certainly perfected it. Roman sources attest to the general sequence of events that were involved in a Roman crucifixion. The victim would be tortured by various means, usually involving flogging, but it could also include burning, racking, uh, uh, mutilating the body, and even abuse of the victim's family. The victim then would carry his or her cross to the place of crucifixion. The victim was then fastened by ropes or nails to the crossbeam, and the crossbeam and the victim were raised to the wooden post or tree and fastened to it. Crucifixion was about a lot more than just pain and punishment. But the goal of crucifixion was humiliation. The criminal was lifted high for all to see so that they would discourage others from committing that same crime. The cross was surely a symbol of shame. And I want you to keep this in mind as we look at our next section in John. Turn your Bibles to John 13. John 13, I will be reading verses 31 through 35. Now when he, speaking of Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So in this section of John, 
What I want you to see from this passage is our hope that is found in the cross. I also want you to see who we are because of the cross. And finally, I want you to see how we are to live because of the cross. So before we get into it, let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have now to get into your word. And again, I pray that your spirit would illuminate the scriptures, give us understanding, help us to apply the truth of your word to our lives. Um, Father, help us to grasp uh, the glory that came uh, from a shameful thing like the cross. Um, Help us to understand who we are in light of the cross and help us to live in light of the cross. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the passage begins when he had gone out. And this, of course, as I said, was right after Judas had departed. If you remember from last week, we read about how Judas uh, was there and Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus was very troubled in his spirit because of Judas. But now Judas had gone out to betray him. And it seems now that the that a weight has been lifted off of the Lord. And Jesus shares with his disciples what is about to happen. Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, this seems like a tongue twister, but what it boils down to is that because Jesus sent Judas out, the events leading him to his crucifixion were now set into motion. And for Jesus, the cross was a glorifying moment. Not only for Jesus, but the whole triune God. Now, we do not want to minimize how awful the cross was for Jesus. It was, of course, painful. He was beaten. His clothes were ripped off of him. He was ridiculed and the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. But the most painful part of it all was that Jesus felt the weight and consequences for the first time of sin. This was the moment when the only innocent man ever in human history was now taking on uh, the cross for our sins. So we don't want to forget that. But at the same time, Jesus is now talking about the glory that comes from such a painful moment. For Jesus, the cross was his glory. The death of Christ was both the greatest tragedy in human history and yet also the greatest moment of glory in human history. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. And this is a callback to uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, which says, I saw in the night visions and behold, the clouds of the heavens. There came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom 
one that shall not be destroyed. That is a picture of what was accomplished at the cross. That is a picture of the glory that Jesus had received because of his obedience to the cross. The Son of Man was a significant title that Jesus used in this moment to depict the power, the authority, and the glory that was about to be displayed in and through him. See, the death of Jesus was a moment of supreme glory for our Savior. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see him for a little while. Was, he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Again, in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, we read Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, listen to this. God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then in the closing book of our Bible, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, we read, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." The whole reason Jesus came was to go to the cross to redeem us. This was his mission. This was his finish line. This was his trophy. The cross demonstrated God's love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The cross is the authoritative expression of the love of God to the world. And the cross led to Christ regaining his glory. The cross also glorified the Father. J.C. Ryle said the crucifixion brought glory to the Father. It glorified his wisdom, fullness, holiness, faithfulness, and love. It showed him wise in providing a plan whereby he could be just and yet the justifier of the ungodly. It showed him faithful in keeping his promises that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. It showed him holy in requiring his law's demands to be satisfied by our great substitute. It showed him loving and providing such a mediator, such a redeemer, and such a friend for sinful man and his co-eternal son. So what should our response be in light of Christ's glorification on the cross? It should be one of repentance and belief. It should be of awe 
and worship. It should be of new life and obedience. He is our king because he obediently became a servant and went to the cross. Through the cross, Jesus is king and we should follow him as such. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. There is no hope. And so we need as Christians to continually preach the cross, both to ourselves and to others. Whenever we are tempted to think that we are deserving of our salvation, we need to preach the cross to ourselves and give Christ the glory. Whenever we think that we are good enough or that we have earned our salvation, we need to preach the cross to ourselves and give Christ the glory. Whenever we think that we have sinned and fallen too short and that the Lord cannot forgive us, we need to remind ourselves of the cross and give Christ the glory. Octavius Winslow said, God is love. Can you for a moment question the wise, gracious, tender conduct towards you of that father from whom from whose heart this ocean flows? Look at the cross Behold his precious gift transfixed to you and that by his own hand for your sins. Then look at your present circumstances, survey your needs, your trials, your chastisements, your bereavements, your heart sickening, heartbreaking tribulations and know that God still is love. If he had love strong enough, deep enough to give you Jesus, to release him from his bosom and to permit him to be affixed to the yonder accursed tree for your iniquities. Has he not loved enough to bow his ear to your cry and his heart to your sorrow? Will he not rescue you from this difficulty? Deliver you out of this trouble, shield you in this temptation, supply this need and support and comfort you in this grief. Oh, yes, he will doubt it not. The cross of Calvary is a standing pledge, standing until sin and guilt, need and woe shall be known no more. That God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all will with him freely give us all things necessary to our good and promote it, promote of his glory. Our only hope in life and death is the glorious finished work of Jesus on the cross and the hope of his resurrection. So that is the hope of the cross. But Jesus doesn't just stop at the fact that he was about to be glorified, that he's about to receive that crown. But we also see him caring for his disciples and we discover who we are because of the cross. Jesus tells his disciples about his coming glory and yet he tells them the truth that this coming glory will include. And that is him leaving them. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so not I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
Now, this verse starts with Jesus calling his disciples little children. While this is the only time that this appears in all the Gospels, that title was used in a com- as a common title by Jewish rabbis to address their students. This is a very intimate title for this group. Jesus, knowing that he is going to be leaving them soon, does not want them to be caught off guard. It's almost as if a dying father is giving his final instructions to his children. In this, we see that Jesus loves and cares for his disciples. He wants them to be informed of what is going on. Now, this news of where I am going, you cannot come, is not new, as Jesus had already pointed this out to the Jews. John 7, verses 33 to 34, Jesus said, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer And then I am going to be with him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am going. You cannot come. We see this again in John 8, 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I am going. You cannot come. Now, we need to notice the difference here between what Jesus said those two times before to the Jews To his rivals versus what he's saying now to his disciples. To the Jewish leaders, Jesus' departure would lead them to their judgment. You will seek me and you will not find me. You will die in your sins. But to his disciples, he does not say this. Rather, he just simply tells them where I am going, you cannot come. But if we look down at... Chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, we read this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I I am, you may also be. Jesus is coming back to his disciples. He will not leave them as orphans. And this is the hope of the gospel. This is what the glory of the cross and the resurrection accomplished. It offers us eternal life. It gives us a hope and a future. It gives us an eternal home that Jesus is preparing for us. This is the hope of the gospel. But it is only true for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. It will only be for those who have trusted in the finished work of Christ. So may we all be identified as Christ's little children. If you don't know Christ, then today is the day that you can come to know him. That you can come to trust in his finished work upon the cross. That you can know him as your Lord and Savior and follow him as king of your life. And as a result of doing that, you will receive hope, future, and eternal life. So the cross glorified Christ. And it was with the cross that he has forgiven our sins. But the cross has also changed the way 
in which we as Christians are to live our life. Verses 34 to 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says uh, that this is a, uh, a new command to love one another. But the problem with that is that we have seen a command to love others from even the Old Testament. We've seen it all over the place. Let me just point out two of them for you. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then in Mark 12.31, we see this. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So what is Jesus talking about here? That he's giving the disciples a new commandment. Well, the new part that Jesus is telling his disciples to is to love one another just as I have loved you. This was the new standard by which we are to love. We are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. And how has Christ loved us? By laying his life down for us. We are to love one another selflessly and sacrificially. We are to count each other more significant than ourselves. We are to put each other's needs before our own. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to forgive when we, have been, when we have been sinned against and we are to seek forgiveness when we have sinned against our brother or sister in the Lord. We are to show grace, pursue unity, and demonstrate love to one another. This is what it means to love as Christ has loved. John MacArthur said, of course, to love like that is impossible apart from the transforming power of the new covenant. It is only because of the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us that believers can love as Jesus has commanded them to. When we are truly a child of God, when we keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, when we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, we will inevitably love this way. This is totally and completely opposite from the, what the world preaches to you. The world preaches that you need to love who? Yourself. Do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. Define who you are. Now I want to be clear that loving one another is not the same as accepting sin. We have a problem in our society that we think to love someone means that you accept them for who they are, including their sin and all. As the church, we should be accepting towards one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, but we should not be accepting of a sinful lifestyle. 
We see Jesus confront people all the time in their self-righteous sins and call them to repentance. If my kids want to play on the road, would it be loving of me to let them? No, of course not. What would be loving of me is to do the exact opposite, to yell at them to get off the road or maybe even to grab them and pull them out of the road. So loving is not the same as accepting. But loving is caring so much for your brother and sister that you are willing to even call out the sin that is in their life. When we truly love one another as Christ has loved us, the world will know that we are his disciples. John MacArthur said the Lord, the Lord's command to love extends beyond the church to embrace all people. Paul's prayer for the, the Thessalonians was that they would increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. First Thessalonians 3.12. He exhorted the Galatians to do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10. The writer of Hebrew charged his readers, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13, 2. The Lord's statement by this all men may know that you are my disciples reveals the effect that believers have when loving one another as Christ has loved us. The world will know who we belong to. Because this love is so different beyond what the world teaches. So our love for one another does not only affect our church, but it also affects our church's witness. Those outside the church should recognize whose we are by how we are. Our love for one another demonstrates who we belong to. So how do we recognize a Christian? Is it if they listen to Christian music? Is it if they have a Jesus fish on their bumper? Is it if they avoid certain sins like cursing, drinking, or chewing? No. It is by their love. The cross is the greatest symbol of love because it is what our Lord and Savior was willing to face Because he loved us. The cross should affect us. It should change us. It should transform us. And it should cause us to love one another as Christ has loved us. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed this teaching. Please visit us at cedarcrest.church slash stupid.